Welcome to the All Things Bright and Beautiful podcast. I'm Jenna DePrima here with my co-host Lydia Shibley, and this is a discussion of life, books, and theology from a confessionally reformed Christian perspective. On today's episode, we'll be discussing On the Incarnation by Athanasius. We're discussing the popular patristic series version with an introduction by C.S. Lewis. We hope that you enjoy today's episode. Good to be recording with you again, Lydia. It's been quite a while since we have recorded an episode, I feel like. Yeah, it feels weird. Like I have to get back into how to do this. I know, yeah. So we're we're recording this kind of, I guess, right before we're gonna release it. So we're kinda of, we're in the middle of the Christmas season. We've got a few weeks until Christmas. So we thought it would be fun just to do a special bonus episode with a book that we both really have benefited from reading mm-hmm. really of course anytime but I, I think it's especially um, just encouraging and edifying at Christmas time as we reflect on the incarnation of Christ and uh, so yeah we thought it would be encouraging just to, to discuss something with that kind of a Christmas theme um, so I guess before we dive into the book I'd love to hear Lydia I know your family you guys do some kind of I guess unique things at Christmas time what are What's a tradition or maybe a, f- a few traditions that you, you guys do during the Christmas season? Yeah, we have a few that we've kind of added. Over. I feel like ever since we got married, we wanted to really – I mean, I have some that I carried over from even when I was a kid that my parents did. But we really wanted to spend the Advent season really having the opportunity to meditate on, like, what it really meant and, and to not get caught up in, I don't know, just all of the busyness of it. And so because of that, we've tried to, to include a few, like, traditions that help just kind of focus our hearts more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do – like advent candles which I know some people are familiar with we Mm -hmm. did them growing up and you light a new candle so there's four candles in total for the four weeks leading up to Christmas Mm -hmm. and you light each candle a new like you start with one and then you add a candle each Sunday Mm -hmm. um and we have like a little booklet that gives like a story to go along with it to kind of tell um just all the sort of the old testament promises that lead to um, to Christ to kind of connect both sides. So it's really helpful with kids, our mm-hmm. kids that like really look forward to it. We kind of read it over dinner time. Okay. And then we do. And you do that like Sunday evening. We do actually do it every night. So every oh, night okay. at dinner, but each Sunday you light a second candle. Sometimes right. we miss okay. like if we have stuff going on in the evening, which mm-hmm. is, it's nice because it's easy to just pick up if we mm-hmm. miss one. Um, and then we also do a Jesse tree, which is kind of this, a similar idea, but mm-hmm. each, there's like an ornament and each ornament has like a, an image on it that is again the old testament promises and then jesus fulfilling and so you we have like a guide that does like scripture readings and so we do that and it was sweet because right before i came here um because it's evening when we're recording our our four-year-old like started yelling and running through the house like we forgot to do our jesse tree we forgot (laughs) to do the jesse tree reading so we had to like all sit down and do it because we couldn't forget to do it that night Mm -hmm. because they all it's really it's been really sweet to do it with our kids Mm because they all look forward to it and Mm -hmm. Um, even our our two older boys, they're nine and seven. They remember, like, we'll start reading the passages, and they'll, mm. they'll be like, "Oh, I know what we're looking for," because mm-hmm. they can they can remember all of the connections, which is it's cool to see that it actually makes that connections mm-hmm. for them. Yeah, um, but yeah, what about you guys? We we're still in a lot of ways, I think, figuring out some of what our traditions will be, just because we have young kids, and yeah. um, so there's just things I wouldn't say we have a lot of things we've done consistently every year, but we one what I think will become a tradition that I'm excited about is um, this year I got uh, the, if you guys have heard of the advent blocks, well, we can link them in the show notes, but 
we uh, got those. So they're basically just these little wooden blocks. There's 25 of them and they have, um, they're all numbered and then they also have a symbol on them that means something that l- relates to whatever passage and story you're going to so talk about like that Jesse day. Tree. So yeah, yeah very, very similar. And you, you're supposed to line them up like on a mantle or somewhere oh, where cool. the kids can see them. So it's super simple and it actually comes with a guide that they yeah. give you and everything too. Um, and so we, the kids have really loved like just, I don't holding the little blocks mm-hmm. like when we read it and then um, they're always interested in like what does the symbol mean you know and so it, it goes through they do a great job of going through like they the whole kind of uh biblical narrative so yeah. it starts in creation and then we've done several different um old testament stories and talked about how they point to this coming messiah so like for instance today we read about moses um and okay. so uh, each story you know kind of builds up to to that messiah that's coming so they've it seems like they've they've enjoyed it so far and i have a four-year-old and a two-year-old and um they are able to my two-year-old maybe not great yeah. bad at listening <laughs> but she's but, excited at but least. yeah she's excited to look at the blocks and then my four-year-old's done he he it's like just some right amount like we try to keep it to like mm-hmm. five minutes you know um that he's able to pay attention to it so that's been really neat so we i hope that we'll kind of continue to do that every year yeah, I feel like four year old four year olds are like the the prime time for like Christmas traditions to some degree. Yeah, they get so excited. Yes, like it yeah. made like like my daughter this like tonight was just it, like it just made it like oh yeah it would have been really easy to like put that off because mm-hmm. we were busy but I yeah I feel like that age is like it's a great time to kind of start traditions and see what catches. Yes. Yeah. Oh, and another thing I decided <laughs> to do is to not feel like I had to do the 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 reading on the actual day. Oh yeah, that's smart. so we actually started um like a week before you're supposed to start, and now we're oh, already. Nice up to like where you're supposed to be you know what I mean so we've already missed it but yeah which now I hopefully won't get behind but I think I mean maybe if you have a different personality that will really bother you but for me I'm like I knew like I didn't want the stress of if we miss a day here or Mm -hmm. there like getting us behind or whatever so just that's another kind of way I've approached it not so try not to put too much pressure but yeah I think there's been a lot of helpful things I've been seeing like people posting online and stuff just about how um you know, it can feel, I think it can feel overwhelming, especially maybe as moms in this season to feel like you need to do all these like million make different things and yeah, make yeah. it super magical. And I think that's great. Like whatever you want to do with your kids. But I think at the end of the day, what matters is that you're, you know, talking to them about why we celebrate mm-hmm. Christmas. You're talking to them about Christ. And that's really, that's the most important thing, right. you know? And so that's, that's like the one thing I wanted to make sure we had some kind of tradition that hopefully does that lord willing and mm-hmm. then everything else is great and fun if we can do it but right. you know. but if it has to fall away it's okay yeah, yeah. that's kind of our perspective too like yeah. if we can't get to baking cookies or, right yeah you know all the all those extra things that are really fun and yes. wonderful if we can't get to it it's okay but if we're reading scripture together and pointing mm-hmm. them to to christ and why and why all of this like what it's all about then, yeah i mean that's good enough yes for sure another the just i'll mention this really briefly one thing that i hope to start i haven't put it together yet so maybe it won't happen this year but that i just thought was a great <laughs> idea um is I saw someone post about a um you know we do typically every year we'll do just a super simple paper chain like oh yeah them counting down the days but she mm-hmm. talked about doing like a kindness chain and on That's each cute. link writing something like some kind of act of kindness or something um and I don't think this one that posts about it necessarily is a Christian but I mean you can obviously certainly apply yeah. to this Christian so you know, donate one of your toys to a shelter or, you know, just lots of examples like yeah. that. So that's something too, I think just, I, I feel like I'm constantly kind of trying to point my kids back to, um, well, first of all, why we celebrate Christmas and secondly, having a mindset of giving rather mm-hmm. than only receiving. Cause obviously I understand the most exciting thing to them about Christmas at right. a young age is usually the presents. I get that. But 
trying to reinforce constantly that it's more blessed to give than to receive mm-hmm. and just trying to find really simple practical ways. So I think that's yeah. just a really great example of like super simple way to kind of try to reinforce that idea. Um, yeah, especially for young ages. That's a good like concrete yeah. like doable right. thing. Exactly. Yeah. And there yeah, and you can keep it super simple like yeah, it doesn't have to be this all these complex things you're doing. Yeah, so I feel like I feel like everyone always asks my kids when it I mean like when it comes to presents every year, it's always like, "Oh, what did you ask Santa yes. for for Christmas?" <laughs> right. So what's kind of your like have you guys decided what you're going to do about Santa? Like what what's been your take? I mean, your kids are young, but like what's yeah, kind of your guys' plan? Yeah, again, yeah, our kids are young, so we are very much just in the thick of it figuring it out. But yeah, we have decided and I I'll just add the caveat before I say this. I think this is an issue of Christian liberty, yeah, and for sure. you know, like I I think you can have different perspectives on this and that's fine. Um, this is just what we've decided. So we've decided not to tell our kids that Santa is real. Um, and I think one of the main reasons, I mean, really the main reason is because we don't want them to get confused mm-hmm. about why we're celebrating Christmas and about what the meaning is. So we still talk about like Santa as a fun, just kind of a fun, like I don't fairy know. tale. Kind yeah, of. exactly. Yeah. Fairy tale. But, and, and I've, I've also, I, I've heard other people mention, I think it is a, a good point that you don't want you don't want your kids to, um, I mean, in this, I don't know, maybe this sounds a little extreme, but like in a sense, it kind of is lying to them. Like mm-hmm. if you tell them, and again, I'm not like, if you tell your kids Santa is real, I'm not, I'm not, I don't, I'm not condemning you. I'm not trying to condemn you or anything. I'm just saying for, I guess for me, it was like, I didn't want my kids to wonder like, am I, t- is when you're Jesus the really real? Right. Then? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it I don't know. And so sure. I think that's just something to consider. Um, so that's kind of what we decided is just to tell them, yeah, that it's a fun fairy tale. So we still read stories about Santa. They'll, they're, we're going to see Santa at Chick-fil-A next week or I don't know, yeah. you know, but like they know it's just this fun pretend part of the season. Right. Um, and but and I've tried to also tell them, I don't know how well this will go, but to not <laughs> tell other kids yeah, that he's that's not the real, challenge. which I don't know is hard. <clears throat> I do think probably most kids, I don't know, there, I think there's probably different perspectives in our church, but probably a lot of kids would their parents would fall in the same place as yeah. us but yeah but what do you guys do you've had a, you have older kids so you've had a lot longer to kind of think about this so what do you guys yeah do? so um I would say I took like from the very beginning a very like anti-Santa posture and maybe have gotten a little bit more gracious over, <laughs> over the years my biggest thing was like I just um with the Santa picture I think because we wanted to make Christmas so much about Christ and right. what Christ has done and the fact that he came mm-hmm. Because we are bad. Right. And he gave us this ultimate gift that the the picture of Santa really felt um, contrary to that to me. Mm. And so and, – and maybe it's different for however you decide to do Santa in your home. But, like, this idea of you're good so Santa gives you something right. and you're bad and Santa doesn't give you something. Right. It just felt really um, – like kind it just like didn't mesh space. together. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it just didn't make sense to me to yeah. do both. And so um, from the very beginning, we we decided we weren't going to tell them that this like Santa Claus idea was like a real person doing mm-hmm. that. Um, but at the same time, we didn't want to demonize something right. that is like, honestly, it's a cultural yeah. heritage for America in a lot right. of ways. Um, and so we didn't want to demonize it at the same time. So what we, the sort of the, the route we took was teaching about the, the man that like is probably who Santa Claus is based off of, mm-hmm. um, Nicholas of Mira. And so we, so like today when we're recording is actually, um, St. Nick day. And so today we, we read about, about Nicholas of Mira and like, it's, it's confusing cause there's not a whole lot of historical information about him, but mm-hmm. we, um, 
we talked about sort of the legends, at least, that that are kind of probably what happened. And then and we also use it as sort of an opportunity of how something can go from his, history mm-hmm. to legend into fairy tale and how that can happen with stories and then how that isn't what happened with scripture and mm-hmm. with Jesus. And so it can it honestly be like a really good opportunity for teaching um, – like history in right. a lot of ways. And yeah. so we, we've kind of used it that way. And then, and that makes it really easy to go into like, and this is like a current folk tale that people like, that people like teach their children as real. And then, right. and again, trying to teach them, because my oldest is a little bit of a, a truth crusader. <laughs> and so he gets really frustrated that like this idea that people believe something is true that isn't true. And right. so, but we've had to kind of give the picture of like, well, the parents have authority. Right. And so they're, it's their responsibility of however they're going to teach their kids. And that's right. not your job to, right. um, yeah, yeah to Tell come in and sort of yeah. usurp that authority, I guess, which made yeah. sense in his, in his right. little nine-year-old yeah, yeah. brain. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's kind of the route that we've taken. And it's been really sweet because, I mean, the the legends, at least, of, of Nicholas of Mira are are actually pretty cool because he mm. was he was legendary as like um, being really generous mm. and helping helping the poor and and also defending truth. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is like the legend that he was at. Oh, man, I'm going to forget what council is it. Is it the Council of Nicaea um, with Arius? Is that, that's the, is that the Arius right one? Is the, is the council yeah. So Nicaea. the legend is that Arius he was so angry with Arius for for saying things about God that weren't true that he slapped mm. him. It's oh, wow. probably there's no actual like historical evidence for uh-huh. it, but it's kind of fun to think about that, like that idea. Yeah. <laughs> that like he was such like a like a lover of truth and right. all but like loved truth but also did so many good things for people. Right. Um so like that idea is kind of a cool one to think about. Mm. Um but we we still try to kind of like emphasize like we don't know if this is actually true about him. Uh-huh. Um but yeah, so that's kind of been the route we've taken. And so far it's been it's been good, I think. Do you is there a book or like a certain resource? Yeah, there's one like? that I love that's by it's it's put out by voice of the martyrs and the way okay. that they like couch it they have one for <clears throat> they actually have one for um nicholas of mira and they have one for saint patrick and for saint valentine okay. and so we read those for each of those holidays um and they connect it with like current persecution of christians oh, because yeah. because the legend of nicholas of mira was he, he was also imprisoned okay. under is it diocletius i'm gonna forget but then constantine became came into power and so then he was let out of prison um and so he was also supposedly persecuted for his faith and then they connect it to like in the in this one they connect it to christians in china who can't worship freely which makes it really cool for Mm -hmm. kids to like recognize like that that's happening all around the world right now so we really like that i i can i can make a link for it in the show notes uh, because i can't remember the name of it off the top of my head okay so talking about nicholas i think is actually a good segue into talking about athanasius and uh because it's i think i don't know nicholas's dates but i think it sounds like they're around the 200 380 time period Yeah. yeah Um, and so there's there's actually in the, the beginning of the book that we're discussing, there's a really good just brief biography on Athanasius if you're interested in learning more, but just super briefly. So Athanasius is an early church father and he, I, I don't know if we actually know the date he was born. I got a few different dates, but we know it was the very end of 200 AD and then he died in 373 AD. And so he he's known for a lot of things, but one of the things that he's most known for is being a defender of Trinitarianism against um, Arianism and you actually just brought that up right. Arius and so there was kind of two schools of thought and so 
the Aryan controversy is uh, the, this controversy that was kind of between Arius and Athanasius, and there are two different schools of thoughts. And so, so Arius taught that the son is of a similar substance to the father, but not the same substance. So that the son and the father, when we're discussing the Trinity, are not of the exact same They're substance. They're not one. Yeah. They're not one, right. Um, whereas uh, Athanasius contended that the son and the father are the same substance so mm-hmm. that the son is uncreated it, it the son you know as we see in, in john that he's the firstborn of all creation he's not he was not created right. um and so they they differed on that which maybe might sound i don't know minor to some but it, it is it is super significant and mm-hmm. it has led to a lot of uh the arian school of thought has led to a lot of uh heresies mm-hmm. um over the years and so the the council of nicaea met uh and that's where the to, to d- debate these trinitarian debates and that's where i'm sure probably many of you have read the nicene creed before i know we read mm-hmm. it in our church sometimes we can link that in yeah. the, the notes as well but that that creed came out as a result of this this conflict and this debate between the two of them so also uh athanasius was kind of at risk of being persecuted off and on his whole mm-hmm. life so you see even throughout on the incarnation, sometimes he, he, he references persecution multiple times. And mm-hmm. it just, it's just, I don't know. I just found it very interesting um, reading about the idea of persecution from someone who lived in the, this very early time right. period who was actually facing this. And really that's all the early church had known. And so um, that, that was kind of always, yeah, a possible threat to his life as well. I don't know if, is there anything else you think is significant about him um yeah i i just noted that he um that he's egyptian by birth and then and greek by education which is really common for most egyptians in that time um, and he wrote i believe on the incarnation was written in In greek Greek, yeah yeah Yeah, actually i just had a conversation with a friend about that because we were talking about latin and both of us thought that it was originally written in i thought that both of us were like oh (laughs) no we had that wrong because in lewis in his introduction talks about how he was intimidated to when he first read on the incarnation, he read it in the original language of right. And because <laughs> of he, he talked about how he didn't know Greek very well. And so he was intimidated yeah. by that. And he found as soon as he started reading that it was actually so simple for him to read, which he argues is kind of a, is a sign of Athanasius's genius. Just that yeah. He was to make able it to so accessible. Make, yeah. These mm-hmm. complex theological uh, ideas. So uh, yes, accessible. Yeah. Yeah, so, well, we didn't read it in the original Greek, but, of course, C.S. Lewis did. His introduction, honestly. <laughs> I don't know about honestly, you, Lydia. I read it in the original Greek. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> um, but, like, honestly, I would read this book just for the introduction by yes. C.S. Lewis. It's yes. so good. It's and, like, good. it's a, a lot of kind of, like, what we talked about in our very first episode of the importance of of reading. Because we talked a little bit about – and I think we actually quoted Lewis then, too. Yeah. Um because it's not the only time he talks about this because he thought it was so important, of just the importance of reading old books Mm -hmm. and the importance of reading primary sources, Mm -hmm. um, which you don't hear that argued for a lot. um, But I do – I think it makes a big difference because he talks a a little bit about, like, the difference between reading Plato and reading – and, like, learning about Platonism. Platonism, is that how you'd say it? Yeah. And just, like, the difference of those things. And so the same idea when you get to – um, these ideas forward with church fathers, it's such a difference to read Athanasius as opposed to what someone tells you is he, what he said. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I love the first line of his. the introduction says, there is a strange idea abroad that in every subject the ancient book should be read only by the professionals and that the amateur should content himself with the modern books. Um, and it's, I don't know, I love that first sentence. Mm-hmm. And then he goes on to say, but if only he knew 
the great man just because of his greatness is much more intelligible than his modern commentator and just that his argument is that it's that actually the yeah the the brilliance of a lot of these original works is that they're actually more um intelligible Mm -hmm. than than modern works and I do think there's and he kind of mentions that I think later in the introduction there's sometimes it does involve more work yeah yeah so that might be where we think like it's it's so much more difficult and inaccessible so it might involve more work mainly because of the language Mm -hmm. or but that it's it's going to be so much richer and I think more yeah more intelligible as he puts it than than a lot of modern works if we're willing to to put in the work in that work yeah and and I think it, it does hold true with with this book I mean when you hear of a book by Athanasius, I think that, that, that sounds, sounds really intimidating. Yeah. intimidating. <laughs> and I can't say that I've read many early church fathers, honestly. And uh, But you find as you're reading this, like it is, you do have to think hard. And mm-hmm. it is, it is maybe some of the language is harder than some of our modern books, but it's also, it is very accessible. And it, it is. is very edifying, even though it's, it's this book that was written hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Yeah. And I think it just get like, and one of the things Lewis says is, uh, I'll just quote him because he says it better. Um, <laughs> he says, every age has its own outlook. It, it is specially good at seeing certain truths and specially liable to make certain mistakes. We all, therefore, need the books that will correct the characteristic mistakes of our own period. And I think that the difference between reading, say, Athanasius himself versus someone who summarizes it for you is the person who summarizes it for you is, is going to have a little bit more of that modern take. Right. Um, and you're not going to maybe get that full picture of the – of just the things that we miss um and I and he talks about that a little bit more later in the introduction as well but just how how we we just get a clearer vision Mm -hmm. for current um blind spots Mm -hmm. when we read older books um they just speak into that in a different Mm -hmm. way and I really felt that way about about this book especially Mm -hmm. too yes absolutely and he he also argues or he he says a new book is still on its trial and the amateur mm-hmm. is not in the in a position to judge it. And just yeah. that also old books have stood the test of time and, and that they are like you said, they're not they're not going to be influenced by I think what he says, the blindness of kind of our modern era. Mm-hmm. You know, and he we talked about and yeah, I think our first episode, this idea of chronological snobbery oh, yeah. and how we think, you know, we know like our age is the best mm-hmm. or we know so much more and we we don't listen to you know generations that have come before us and that we need we need the perspectives of older books to to help us actually see our time period more clearly because there's no there's no way to fully escape those blind spots because we live in the the era that we live in mm-hmm. but reading old books can help us yeah uh, as much as we can to to have a, a a fresh perspective and to not be completely influenced just by the culture and the time period that mm-hmm. we're in I think too like the idea of like it st- it stood the test of time I think that um, like especially kind of in this age of like deconstruction of the faith it's really reassuring to read um, the works of someone who walked the Christian life and mm-hmm. finished yes you know like and just yes. to be reminded that like that this this narrow frame of like deconstructionism that is so in vogue right now right. is really narrow and yes. we have we have hundreds of years of of Christians before us mm-hmm. who who have walked it at start to finish mm-hmm. through really difficult things mm-hmm. and, and through through times of heresy and all of that as well that's just reassuring yes. i think yeah and i was surprised even in reading on the incarnation several of the the things that he brings up or some of the arguments people might make against christianity or the existence of christ i was just reminded like those are arguments people are still making yeah, today they haven't it's changed like, at it's all nothing, yeah there's nothing new under the sun like it's still 
you know, and, and that it's just, it is, in, in many ways, that's actually encouraging mm-hmm. to see, you know, the church has prevailed for hundreds of centuries. And this isn't, like, the things that we're facing today aren't really new in, right. many, in many ways. Um, and, yeah, I love kind of going back to what you were just saying. So, Lewis, I'll just read one more quote because it is just so hard to say it better than him. He talks about how none of us can fully escape this blindness, but he says that the only palliative to the blindness that, you know, we we face in our, our current era is, he says, to keep the clean sea breeze of the centuries blowing through our minds. And this can be done only by reading old books. And so just, good. Yeah, that idea of like old books kind of being this breeze, like this fresh air bringing fresh perspective mm-hmm. is so, so good. So On the Incarnation is actually only about 60 pages long. The edition that we have is a little over 100 because there's this introduction by Lewis mm-hmm. and then there's a little history on Athanasius and then there's also at the end a letter, I think, to Marius? or Yeah, I think so. Yeah, from Athanasius. And I it, it is excellent too. I would highly recommend reading it. It's about the uh, interpretation of the Psalms and it's just so helpful his description of why it's important to read the Psalms mm-hmm. and why they're beneficial to us. Um, but anyway, but the actual on the incarnation itself is only about 60 pages. And so I love, it is structured so clearly mm-hmm. and it's very logical. Like he asks a lot of series of questions and kind of answers those questions. Mm-hmm. And so he actually structures it by discussing the, the incarnation in, kind of in light of First of all, the creation and the fall. And then secondly, he brings up this this idea of the divine dilemma and its solution in the mm-hmm. incarnation. Um, and then he talks about the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. And then finally, he kind of, the last few chapters, talks about some different refutations that from Jews and Gentiles mm-hmm. and other people that they might have against these arguments. Um, but I love that clear structure of how he follows kind of the life of Christ and this biblical narrative and, and shows how the incarnation is central to, mm-hmm. to that. Um, so what were, I guess, what did you think, Lydia, about um, maybe especially in the kind of initial creation and fall, some of the, the first the first chapter, the things that he, uh, he talks about in there? I mean, anytime we talk about Christ coming, it, like we have to, you have to start at creation, especially yeah. because, I mean, when you look at the, the heresy of Arius and this idea that Christ is was made like that he tried to put forth the area said that Christ was made mm-hmm. um and so to start at creation and say that this same word mm-hmm. who spoke the universe into being mm-hmm. came in flesh yeah. um just to see just to see that connection man I think right. I could just like meditate on that for a long time yeah. and it just it just kind of like yeah there's there's honestly not words for for that in a lot of ways um yeah, he's so logical in how he connects all of these things. And, mm-hmm. and and it makes connections that should I, I feel like when I read them, I was like, that should have been obvious to me, but I didn't I didn't catch that. Mm-hmm. And, and he's taught on page 26, 26, at least of this copy, um, he says kind of that same idea of it being the same word. He says the renewal of creation has been wrought by the self same word who made it in the beginning. Mm-hmm. There is thus no inconsistency between creation and salvation, for mm-hmm. the one father has employed the same agent for both works, affecting the salvation of the world through the same word who made it in the beginning. And I just love that idea of it being this like consistent thread. And yes. I think sometimes we forget that. Yeah. Or maybe it, maybe I just do. Of mm-hmm. just like that from that very beginning, it's the same thread mm-hmm. and it's the same God who mm-hmm. who created and has been working this plan of salvation yeah. since the fall. Like it's just uh it's just really beautiful to think of it in those terms, I think. Yeah. And he does t- uh talk about Christ as the word often. Like mm-hmm. he'll use that word the word, which I think is it again a reminder that Jesus is the word that has 
mm-hmm. always existed. Like the word that we see in Genesis 1, the word mm-hmm. talked about in John chapter 1, that he is he is preeminent. He has always existed. He's created the world, and yet he's also incarnated into this right. man. And as you said, he does just a great job of connecting creation and salvation and how those mm-hmm. two things are are yeah total completely interwoven um and i also love just from the very beginning the very first page the this this picture that he presents of christ and um he talks about how you know like jews and greeks would have thought that this god would have come with all of this um like pomp and pomp circumstance, and circumstance. Yeah. yes um but but athanasius says um thus by what seems his utter poverty and weakness on the cross he overturns the pomp and parade of idols and quietly and hiddenly wins over the mockers and unbelievers to recognize him as god and so he he's just continually presenting this view of christ that is this this um meek and humble mm-hmm. uh incarnate man yet is god and that right. that how, how there's all of these unbelievers t- turning, and he talks a lot about idols too, mm-hmm. turning from their idols to God, and because he tr- is the tr- one true God. Right. And I thought that was interesting too. Just the yeah, the amount of times he brings up idolatry, and certainly we still talk about that in our day, but that it would have been so present in, right. in his time where there was literally, literally idols to take out of your gods, home. Yeah, and then there's this this one true God that people mm-hmm. are turning to and seeing like there's this this is the one true God, you know? Yeah, I mean we. We talked a little bit about how like the same, the same sort of objections to to God like are are in here as are now. And mm-hmm. I thought it was really interesting. He says, um, in that same chapter on creation and the fall, he says some say that all things are self originated and so to speak haphazard. Uh, the Epicureans are among these, and they deny that there is any mind behind the universe at all. And I just that just struck me of like this is pre evolutionary theory, right? Yes, that that same objection existed then. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I just think that's like, yeah, just kind of like laughable of, in some ways of like how yeah, the same objections have been put forward um, and we have the same evidence of a creator today yeah. as we did then. And I just, I think that um, he got, kind of goes on to talk about how like we know that there is a mind behind this and, right. and then like, and, and look at, at all that he has done and, mm-hmm. and to then come and to, like you were saying, how he comes humbly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 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 And yeah, I liked that he, he talked about how there's all of these things couldn't just happen sp- mm-hmm. spontaneously but that there is a as you said a divine designer there's a maker a, a, a cause behind all of these things and that um yeah he's just very logical about the way he kind of deduces yeah. these things and that was one of the things that really struck me like this is so much of what we debate today with yeah. like evolutionary theory and all these things and he just does I think an excellent job of of uh, addressing those things so he goes on in that same chapter to to talk about the answer to the solution, which of course is Christ. And he says, "Who saved the Word of God Himself, who also in the beginning had made all things out of out of nothing? His part it was, and His alone, both to bring again the corruptible to the incorruption, and to maintain for the Father His consistency of character with all. For He alone, being the Word and Father, and above all, was in consequence both able to recreate all and worthy to suffer on behalf of all, and to be an ambassador." ambassador for all with the father so I know that's that was a long quote but uh, essentially what he's saying is that only only the word himself only mm-hmm. Christ himself could could suffer and bear the wrath of God to be an ambassador for us to be able to to go back to God so he just does a great job I think of tracing that um yeah that that logical kind of dilemma mm-hmm. and then solution found in Christ and just really makes made me really glory in our salvation mm-hmm. and, and in what Christ has accomplished for us and I'll add to that as I 
was reading this, like, I think this is a great book to read slowly. Like, yes. e- even though it is short, it's only 60 pages, it it's is a lot to chew on. meaty. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, like, I, like, I was just reminded just looking at these two pages, like, mm-hmm. there, I, there's so much, like, that I underlined and got out of those two pages. And so I think if it's something, like, I would, you know, we would encourage you to consider reading this, especially at Christmas time. Mm-hmm. And maybe just take two or five pages a day and mm-hmm. really um, meditate on them because they are so rich. I'd say that's about the pace that I read it. Um, yeah. yeah, I just love I, – I think that's, again, why you have to go back to, like, creation. I mean, because that's the start, right? Mm-hmm. That's the start of the story God gives for humanity is creation. And I think this idea of, like, we undid it. Mm-hmm. And then and, – and he kind of talks about that, like, the undoing of it and how the only solution that – for that – is to have the one who created it in the first place kind of recreate right um and undo all of all of that brokenness that we've right. we've brought in yeah while while yeah while paying for the for the sin that needs payment right and i think again i'll, I'll keep going back because i think it's so interesting that um with the arius arian controversy at the same time like how important that that specific picture is because yes. he talks again um in that in that i can't remember if it's in the first or, or in the second or the third chapter but he says the word of god came in his own person because it was he alone the image of the father who could recreate man made after the image and so mm-hmm. like and jesus says like when you see me you see the father mm-hmm. um and i am the father one john records that and so like just the the importance of recognizing that Jesus and the Father are one and that when he comes like that that is it's God that's who came right. and it only could be God right. to in order to to reverse all of the damage done right yeah and he uses I like he also uses a lot of kind of an- analogies and illustrations mm-hmm. throughout the book and one thing on that that topic that he one illustration he uses which maybe I guess in our modern day might not be as uh like something we understand as well but he talks about a portrait and how if a portrait becomes ruined through stains the artist doesn't throw away the panel but rather um the subject has to come and sit for the portrait again and then the 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 likeness is redrawn on the same material so obviously Mm -hmm. maybe today we're not doing a new portrait yeah but i but you get what you still get the idea of that yeah yeah and that he's saying that so it is with an all holy son of god he the image of the father he came and dwelt in our midst in order that he might renew mankind made after himself and seek out his lost sheep even as he says in the gospels i I came to seek and save that as which is lost so he he came and and kind of renewed like he it's kind of a complex thought but that he is the image of god and he came and renewed man and kind of restored his image back to him you know i mean amen i like that's like because we talk a lot i feel like in our day and age of like how we're made in the image of god right and and we put a lot of emphasis on emphasis on that which is good it's yes, true it's true right but i think to like to then meditate on this idea that jesus came and like brought the right image right because we because it's marred right like it's like that picture of the portrait he talks about like right it's still it's still the portrait the painter made but it's, but it's, it's torn, torn and like and you, you can hardly recognize it yeah. yeah and then to have like the real thing come right is like that i don't know that just that is that's something to celebrate yeah like it's that's just amazing mm-hmm. yeah amen and I love kind of, again, going back to this picture of Christ that Athanasius presents. He talks about how Christ deals with his children as he, he uses this analogy of a, of a good teacher with his pupils coming down to their level and using simple means. Yeah. And like that we need, we need like simple means we to, you know, to be able to be restored to God. And he just shows, I think, just how gracious Christ mm-hmm. is and yet also magnifies his power. Like he talks about kind of a few pages later that he says – 
at one and the same time, this is the wonder. As man, he's referring to Christ, as man, he was living a human life. And as word, he was sustaining the life of the universe. And as son, he was in constant union with the father. So he was doing all of these all things, those things at, at once. once. Yeah, wild. <laughs> which is crazy. And it's so, it, it is, I mean, in many ways, co- complex and, and almost beyond our grasp. But mm-hmm. yet something we really should still meditate on and yeah. grapple with uh, and recognize in our kind of frail human minds. We're not going to be able to fully comprehend that. But how amazing that is. What a what a wonderful picture of the Trinity and kind of the, yeah. the Godhead all working together. Yeah. And I think like just that imagery of like this idea that he's sustaining the world. Right. While he's within a, his mother's womb. Yes. Like that's just like to think about that. Like, yeah, it's like way outside of our, our ability to like fully grasp. But mm-hmm. my goodness, like it just makes you want to worship, mm-hmm. like to, to yeah. think through that and to think of like, and then t- to think about like the miracles of Jesus later on mm-hmm. of him, like raising the dead. Right. And I think sometimes we like, like we read the, I mean, maybe, maybe it's just me, but like being familiar with those stories, I think we lose some, sometimes the amazement some of, of the this idea of, it, yeah. of like, like he's restoring the blind, like sight to the blind mm-hmm. and he's he's bringing those that are dead to life like all of that is like he, because he is the creator and sustainer right. of all like that's what he does mm-hmm. um so just think through that mm-hmm. like it it really does i i'm really thankful that we did this during kind of christmas because i think to think through that during the season i think it can take because I think sometimes Christmas can become very, like, sentimental. And we it, talk yeah. about, like, Jesus in the manger yeah. and as it's just, like, this baby perpetually. Right. Which, I mean, he did yeah. come as a baby. Yes. But, like, forgetting, like, how, like, what that really means. Like, yes. it's not a sentimental thing. It's, right. like, it's world-altering. Yes. Like, it was the moment in time that just changed everything. Mm-hmm. I think that's very true. I think our, even, even in our um, reflection on, on Christ at Christmas time, I think our culture can – yeah, can kind of water it down and mm-hmm. make it, as you said, over, overly sentimental. And, and it is certainly important to reflect on Christ as a baby, a Christ right. in his mother's womb. Um, but to not forget that that is the very same Christ that is upholding the universe mm-hmm. and that is one with the Father. And right. that is, you know, all of these things are, are happening at once. And to, to have this kind of bigger view of who Christ is and who God is, is something I think we need to continually be reminded of, perhaps especially at Christmas, um, that that's the, that's the Christ that we're, we're worshiping and mm-hmm. we're talking about when we talk about him, you know, being incarnated into a, into a baby, into right. a man. Yeah, it, it's interesting because we, I mean, we so when we're kind of talking about traditions for Christmas with our kids and all of that, we also really try, it's actually kind of harder to like bring Easter in as well. Like we try to, we try to tell our kids like Christmas is kind of for Easter. Like these two are, they're like bookends. You never have one without the other. Mm -hmm. Um, and so just like this idea and, and in the, the following chapters, that's kind of what Athanasius goes into of this idea of, of he came and, I mean, like you were saying before, he came to pay a price. So it's mm-hmm. not like he just came to be among us. Right. Um, he came to die mm-hmm. and then to defeat death. Yeah. Um, which I think is really important to, again, to think about during the Christmas season of yeah. like, yeah, this baby came and this is wonderful and, and um, light came in the darkness and there's this thrill of hope. Mm-hmm. But why? Right. And the why is because he came to die mm-hmm. and to ultimately um, – kill sin mm-hmm. yeah yeah and I, I athanasius talks about this he describes it as a mighty paradox and he says the death he's talking about the death uh for which i guess the gentiles thought to inflict on him or he says the death mm-hmm. which they thought to inflict on him as dishonor and disgrace has become the glorious moment to death's defeat and just yep. kind of that beautiful paradox of the this the kind of the horror of his death on the cross and yet that was death or sin's ultimate defeat right. at the same time 
So I just, I love that picture. And then he, he also, I love just how he, he talks about the resurrection and the significance of the resurrection in mm-hmm. addition to, to the death on the cross. And I, I think it's a really powerful section. Um, he talks about how all of these um, Christians, and he would have maybe even known some of them, you know, mm-hmm. that they were willing to die for their faith because of a resurrected Christ. Like right. Because of a living Christ, they were willing to... Yeah, he, he says, if, if you see with your own eyes, men and women and children even, thus welcoming death for the sake of Christ's religion, how can you be so, this is kind of kind of harsh, I guess, but he <laughs> says, how can you be so utterly silly and incredulous and maimed in your mind as to not realize that Christ, to whom these all bear witness himself, gives the victory to each, making death completely powerless for those who hold his faith and bear the sign of his cross. And just, so wow, so powerful, you know, that, that, the the martyrs that were willing to to die these horrible deaths um, for this resurrected Christ, mm-hmm. some of which a, a few you know centuries before had had seen and had experienced right. firsthand. Yeah, it just reminds me of of where Paul says like if if he's not I'm going to paraphrase because I can't think of it off the top of my head. Um, but if if he's not resurrected, like we are above all to be pitied. Yes. Um, but he is, and right. so like we have no and and Athanasius talks about this a lot, and it's a really convicting to read of like how you sh- there should be no fear for death at all yes. for Christians and yeah. and and he uses these examples like you were saying of these martyrs who who did face just gruesome mm-hmm. awful things and mm-hmm. suffered not just like a quick death but suffered right. painful deaths yeah. and did it gladly because of this resurrected Christ and the yeah. hope and the knowledge that he defeated the ultimate death and yes. like and that they so treasured that and yes. so believed that that they saw this earthly death as as not a big deal right yes amen so it's i mean it's the same idea as he goes in the next three chapters of the so the the refutation of the jews and gentiles so kind of the objections that they raise and and answers to that Mm -hmm. of this idea of like of so you have this picture initially of this humble christ coming and then you have this picture of him being triumphant um, and he's triumphant over death and he's triumphant over sin and i think and he uses a lot of that example of the christian witness um in showing like if if this didn't really happen how are all of these people leaving behind their idols and how are yes, they yes. how are they living these incredibly chaste lives as as young people and how are they how are they going forward in holiness and suffering things gladly which honestly reading that was really convicting for me yeah um to be able to think that like the church like the whole of the church of believers um we're the witness of the resurrected Christ mm. now and like witness and i think sometimes we like miss we miss that picture of like our lives lived are the witness of who Christ is and what right. he's done. And right. so the way that we live mm-hmm. matters in that sense. We're, yeah. and, and I think that, so that for me, that was very convicting to be like, oh, wow, that's, I mean, like I knew that. Right. But to like really think about that again, I think was, um, yeah, like the way that we, the way that we live in our attitudes and things mm-hmm. reflect what Christ has done in us. And yes. that shows his power. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I love, again, in this section, he just again talks about, he says, uh, the Lord did not come to make a display. He came to heal and to teach suffering men. And just, again, this picture of, like, this uh, this Christ who came not in pomp and circumstance mm-hmm. but came to, to heal um, and to teach suffering men. Um, and, then, and then, yeah, it really stood out to me, too, kind of what you brought up, just how he asked the question, when did people begin to abandon the worship of idols unless mm-hmm. it were since the very word of God came among men? And just how when Christ came uh, to, to the earth and, and died and was resurrected, that there's men 
men and women throughout the world, you know, abandoning their idols mm-hmm. and their false gods and, and choosing to follow Christ mm-hmm. and being martyred for that and, and dying these these cruel deaths um, because of their their belief in this one true God and and just that that is powerful and that as you mm-hmm. say we we live on that legacy like we mm-hmm. live on the legacy of um, of of Christ resurrected and mm-hmm. and we we are kind of that that display to the world now right. so that, that it is convicting and uh, we and we know of course we don't do that perfectly but God right. helping us that we would be a, a good display of Christ's mm-hmm. glory. And just, I, I love how he says has how he says that, like, unless it were the very word of God yes. who came among them, like, what else could do this? Yes. Um, what else could change the nature of man yes. to be yes. good? Yes. Um, Amen. Yeah, that's, that's just, and that's so true. Yes. Yeah, and he says um, almost, I guess, like, it's not in the conclusion, but right before the conclusion, he, he kind of, it's, I feel like this is kind of a good summary of what, of the things that he's saying. He says, now this is proof that Christ is God the word and power of God. For whereas human things cease and the fact of Christ remains, it is clear to all that the things which cease are temporary, but that that but that he who remains is God and very son of the word, the soul begotten word. And just that at the, the end of the day, Christ is God, the word is what remains. Mm-hmm. Like, I just think that's a great summary it is, of yeah. what we believe, you mm-hmm. know? My, my favorite part in the conclusion was maybe even in the whole book to some degree. I mean, I love the whole book, but I I love how he says, um, basically summing up his whole book and saying, this will give you a beginning hmm. um, and you must go on to prove its truth by the study of the scriptures. And hmm. I just love that like he ends this whole treatise by saying, now go back study to God's word. Yeah. And and like, yeah, amen. Let's, let's mm-hmm. do that. I just yes. think that's a great way to end a book. Yes, I agree. Yes. Yeah, so we could probably keep going on, but we'll, on that note, that's a great, good note to end on. Um, so we do really recommend, highly recommend this book and would encourage you to consider picking it up, giving it as a gift. Um, but it is a wonderful one this this Christmas season and perhaps kind of a unique and different one than um, a lot of like, like typical, the, the yeah. typical Christmas devotions, which th- there, there's many good ones out there. But we, we really, I think, would both say we found this really drew our hearts to mm-hmm. just the wonder of the incarnation and of um, the word made flesh. And mm-hmm. so we would encourage you to, to consider reading this. Um, and thank you for joining us for this special Christmas bonus. And we look forward to, we'll be kind of posting updates about when we're going to get back to our regular um, episodes in uh, in this next season. But we appreciate you being patient with us just as mm-hmm. we spend time with our families and have, you know, kind of focus on that this Christmas season. But we're excited for the next, um, the next season of all things. So um, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like access to more resources, we have a website at allthingspodcast.org. We hope that you'll join us for our next episode.